What's going on, Kyle? You rocking out? Yeah, I love this music. It's great. It's fantastic. That is a good song. And this is the first time we've heard this in 2024, the first MSP Community Live episode. So thanks for coming, everyone. How do they know um, this isn't recorded in 2023? Hmm. Good question. Hmm. I wonder if any of our threads are from today. That's the way to tell, like you, the way you hold up a newspaper with the date yeah. on it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you have the, yeah, you have to write your name and the date and an event or something. I like it. Um, so Ray's not here. Kyle and I are, are filling in. I don't actually know where Ray is, but we will manage without him. I don't know where Ray is. Not here. That's all that matters. <laughs> So how how was your practice. new year? How was your new year? <laughs> so mine was good. Um, I didn't do anything. I think it's a sign I'm getting older in that I stayed up until yeah. <laughs> ten o'clock. That was late enough for me. Went to bed. Didn't really do you know. Didn't party because I didn't want to deal with like driving drunk drivers or any of that stuff. Just kind of stayed home, stayed in, ordered in takeout, and and that was it. So a very different kind of New Year's than uh, ones I had you know, not that long ago. How about you? Uh, the same. Uh, I mean, at some point, it's just like, I mean, it's nothing is different. There was zero change, except I forget the right, the right date uh, <laughs> for like a month. That is it. Right. You're, you're thinking about staying up and then you say, but why? It's not worth <laughs> blowing my sleep schedule up for the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, why? What? Right? Oh, okay. I watch a, a, a circle slowly lower down. So the, the people who have it good, or if you live like in, you know, Denver or in California, like Mountain or Pacific time, you stay up, you watch the East Coast New Year's <laughs> Times Square and go to bed. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Should move. It's East Coast time zone stuff. Although we are the best time zone, let's be honest. That's why we do everything first. <laughs> it, it depends. Like, so, so mountain time seems awesome if you're a sports fan. I always thought that would be nice to have, like, the, the Monday night or Sunday night football game start at 6 o'clock. And, you know, you don't have to, like, stay up all night just to watch your team lose, in my case. Uh, who's your team? Oof. Jets fan. It's been, uh, been a yeah. rough year. It has been a rough year. Although there were some sparks here and there. Uh, that's always nice to hear. As a Packer fan uh, who was barely looking to make three games, uh, and all three of those wins were in the NFC uh, North, um, <laughs> just because rival games, right? Uh, we made the playoffs, and I'm super excited about that. You guys seem to have done it a third time in a row. Jordan Love, another quarterback? Uh, maybe. I mean... They, all these people are going like, he's it. He's not it. He's it. He's not it. And it's just kind of like, it's his first year. <laughs> Why don't we give it a few years and let's see if how that plays out. All right. Uh, let's not give him a $150 million contract out the gate because someone said he might be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Although uh, it would be really might hilarious. Have the again. It would be, I would, I would thoroughly enjoy it. Um, what if, uh, football? Let's talk about Reddit. Oh, okay. Yes. Let's talk about Reddit. Um, so we have, these have to be good threads because we have, what, about a month worth of content Roughly. picked from? Roughly, yeah, something like that. All right. Um, 
dress code advice. So we were talking before the show that I found it interesting that this was downvoted to zero and you'll, you started giving your thoughts on it. I so did. let's just go through the, the uh, background on this first. <laughs> so this is a service manager or owner or exec or someone who introduced a dress code policy for all our techs, uh, just to wear a company branded t-shirt t-shirt, not even like a polo. They don't have that was the first company. Like that was like that I, that triggered me instantly was like reading t-shirt um interesting yeah one of our techs let's go so whenever i see one of our techs let's call him stan i think okay this is the the guy who like posted right yeah um quite against the idea from the get-go made the point of you know, he doesn't drive barely leaves the office okay so he's like a remote tech or just someone who's not necessarily yeah. client facing Rarely have people in the office. Wouldn't be a point to him being branded all the time. Mentioned to Stan that it was to be consistency, all tech. So it sounds like he's having everyone wear company logo, like on Zoom meetings and team meetings, I guess. So he wants, uh, because I, I scrolled, uh, uh, this was a little older, and I happened upon it initially. It was, uh, that's why all I read right. it. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, to give a little bit more information, because it helps. Uh be as negative about this type of situation. Uh, <laughs> it helps validate your feelings about being negative about it. So first off, the fact that he is giving t-shirts and not polos in my in my mind is like, why? Uh, why t-shirts? Like, is that is it a money issue? Because t-shirts are cheaper generally than polos. Like, it, unless you get a like a screen printed polos, and it kind of doesn't really matter. But embroidered polos. Are you trying to be like be a Silicon Valley <clears throat> startup kind of company that wears t-shirts to the office. Uh, but so from what I understand, they already have branded jackets. That's in the initial post. Mm, okay. Immediately, why are you making them also wear t-shirts? Uh, the the initial a lot of. This individual in his company has decided to make the technicians only wear branded T-shirts. Um, and Stan is one who doesn't want to. Um, and I don't blame Stan. Uh, I think Stan is uh, morally writes the wrong way to say this. Uh, right in the like if in a debate, I, I would pick Stan as as the correct choice of action. However. Uh, he does work for a company and it is that company's decision to make this happen. And that is, that is their, it's their prerogative. It's yeah. their prerogative. Yeah. So you kind of have to follow it. Now I understand the pushback, um, but they only have four technicians uh, and the rest of them are non-technical, but they sometimes do technical work. And the only ones that are going to be branded are the technicians. And I think that's ultimately the issue is if you want to give everyone make everyone be branded to the company dress code policy. I understand that. Fine. It is what it is. Have some nice polos, not t-shirts. Uh, and you know, Hey, this is, this is what it is. But this entire situation that this, um, MSP is facing is specifically because they, I, I don't, there, there's gotta be something else that's underlying why they want to do this and why they're pushing so hard. Um, there's something else they, they want, from what he said, they want, if a client comes in, they want to look ready. Uh, and yeah, I, what does that even mean? I don't get it. Ready to do what? They're sitting um, there. 
So, so the way we always handled this was, you know, we, we gave out polos, we gave out dress shirts. I think I have some t-shirts somewhere, but I wear them for like mowing the lawn, not for going to the office with, um, we specified just be professional, right? Don't look like a slob, wear a polo. It doesn't matter if the logo is company or Nike or whatever on the polo, um, and, and honestly, trust your guys to make a decision about where they're going. And that means if you're going on site to an industrial machine shop, you might dress differently than if you're going on site to a legal client or an accountant yeah. client. Uh, um, I think a polo it, is – so a, a, a company-branded item serves a couple of purposes. One, it makes everyone look uniform. But two, it's also a recognizable item if you go into it. Hey, this is so-and-so from this company. It's a, kind of like a security check. Like they are wearing company branded apparel that only, they can only get from the company. Um, so that makes sense from that area. But this is just because they want the text to look ready. I guess like pizza delivery drivers because they're always standing there waiting for the next pizza to be ordered. Whereas technicians are constantly fixing stuff because nothing's ever working. Is this, I wonder, for, I know a lot of MSPs will have prospects come into the office for sales calls. Maybe it's something like that, like they're giving a tour of the office and they, they think it makes a difference. Um, but but again, I would just err on the side of be professional, right? Is anyone going to look yeah. at your service text and say, man, he's wearing like a uh, you know New Balance polo and not the company one. He's unprofessional. But that goes back to his branded jacket. Hey, I got a client coming in at one o'clock. Put yeah, exactly. on after lunch. <laughs> right? I mean, like, there's this is such a non, it feels like a waste of everyone's time. Yes. And that's the ultimate issue is this, none of this is efficient. None of this is serving anyone any benefits aside from a slight marketing, maybe enhancement, but as a t shirt, it's not. They're just going to think just so. I think this falls into the bucket of issues that come up. You know, you're you're hiring adults, right? Let them let them be professionals. Let them do what they need to do and make those decisions, right? If you don't trust them to pick out what they wear in the morning, why would you trust them to manage your client environments? Yeah, I mean, and just it's just such a non non issue. Like it's it's, it's such a it's like picking a fight for something like if if the entire company had to wear branded polos to work if that was the dress code policy and that was you provided this you provided five of your branded shirts uh and a company jacket great uh everyone's required and someone's giving you pushback well it's the company policy everyone does it i understand the frustrations around it but this is what we want to do and this is how we uh operate this is our company culture um yeah but in this case four people out of the 14 they have have to wear t-shirts that are branded with the company uh so i am um, i he's got downvoted so much and <laughs> uh like i you had to like scroll through and like unfurl uh, the because it rolls it up because it's so negative uh and i agree with all of the negative downvotes <laughs> now the the one thing i will say is it's a good idea, especially when you're this small, to take some time and codify what, if any, 
dress code there is, right? Like if you're okay with um, people showing up in sweatpants, um, I wouldn't be, but if you are, um, write that down. Or if you don't want people to do that, write that down, like have some idea so that um, people aren't guessing about what's acceptable to you. Yeah. Um, Most you people know, default want... to business casual, um, but also there's, you should have, depending on the type of technician and the type of employee dress code could apply differently, right? You may want mm -hmm. your account managers or your uh, senior executives when they go to a client meeting to be in a suit, right? That just may feels that may, they may feel more comfortable in a suit or in a company yeah. polo. Um, but someone who works remotely, um, who doesn't go to clients, uh, who really only gets on the phone, doesn't really do video calls. I don't really care what you're wearing. Uh, but it does need to be documented. Um, that's the critical thing. Oh, look, Ray is Ray is around. Uh, quick, stop bad mouthing him. <laughs> Ray, Ray's going to be the peanut gallery. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, you know, take some time and write down expectations. It's just one of those things that ambiguity doesn't do anyone any favors yeah. here. Like what, whatever your expectations are, and I think you and I and most of us would have pretty similar expectations of what business casual is. Um, Write it down just to avoid um, dumb arguments later. Like it's just such a silly thing to spend time on. And if you can point to, okay, here in the handbook says what the dress code is. And hopefully it's not wear a company polo or t-shirt every day. Well, um, I, I would like to highlight that if you do say you need to wear a company polo, that you provide said item as yes. the company. The employees should not be paying for any company branded merchandise. They should also give it back. Because you don't want that winding up in goodwill or something. You should you know, dispose of it as you wish. But uh, that become a security risk if it's in goodwill. It's up in goodwill. You know, that's a good point. I um, I have so much old company branded gear from places I've worked. I don't think I ever gave any of it back. I mean, most companies not watching. don't ask for it back. Like they don't think to ask for that stuff back. And that's a, that's a, that's a big issue because let's say you donate it to Goodwill. Now someone can walk around uh, with your old company's logo on and be like, Hey, I'm with old company. Uh, give me access to your server room, please. Yeah. That's a, a conversation for <clears throat> another episode. Um, security of techs coming in and verifying, right? We always talk about, verify that it's the client calling when support and you know mechanisms to deal with that um not in most companies to your point don't have any protocols with their clients to verify it's them when they're walking in the door i can't tell you how many times i sent a new guy out to some tech and they let him right into the server room without you know even blinking an eye or calling to verify or anything yeah sometimes they'll even let him in without having a company t-shirt so that's me <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it's a security risk. It's not. I wouldn't classify it as a major one, uh, but it is an issue that I, I personally would try to get that stuff back if I provided you with a shirt. I just just hand it back, right? Uh, I think I had shirts from my original jobs that I had uh, in merch that I might still have, uh, like a hat or something that I got. Uh, but uh, what's next? I on keep the list? all my gradient stuff, Kyle. So I'm gonna come to like MSP Geek and see if anyone can spot the the logo well, difference. The, uh, they stole our logo. <laughs> um, absolutely, 100% <laughs> sure. Uh, I will die on this hill. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't think they'll confuse you. The colors are too bright. Mm, They're okay. too pastel. 
They are pastel. Miami, 80s Miami vibe. That's what that's the color scheme. Bright blues and pinks. Yeah, yeah. Very like 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. You're right. All right, we can move on. We've uh, beaten this one to death. I need to go downvote that post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, completing tasks too quickly. Um, someone started working and feel like they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, and they're getting, they're getting pushback because they feel like they're uh, actually not productive, I guess. That is possibly... I would find uh, a different MSP to work for, honestly. Uh, this is not what I thought it would be based on the title. Mm -hmm. um, so, from what I under, from what I can gather from this, um, the employee is being reprimanded because they're not padding any time. They're completing tasks quickly and efficiently, as you expect a technician to do, and because the billable time is not necessarily as high as it could be. The, uh, I don't, so that the I'm a systems engineer, not help desk, uh, is a, a curious thing. Um, I don't know what that means in this instance. Uh, they will I'm, handle escalated issues, but yeah, do they not have their own tickets? Are they internal IT? Like, what is the situation with that? I don't. I'm guessing at, at this MSP, um, there's a distinction between guys who like answer the phone and guys who config stuff and um, touch servers and manage client environments. Um, the, the direction I think this was going, I think it might make for an interesting conversation I'd like to hear your perspective on, is I thought this was going to be someone who thinks hey, I just found this new really efficient way to do things or automated something or made my job better. Um, and in return, all I got was a big pile of work to do. Like, I feel like I'm just getting more work to do because I'm being more efficient. And, you know, we having him thinking, why should I put any effort into automating this when I can, you know, do it manually and not, you know, have less work to do? What's your reaction to guys who have that kind of, or techs who have that kind of mindset? So actually I just did, uh, we have every Wednesday, we have a leadership training and uh, this most recent one, we discussed um, negative traits, accidental negative traits that you may be doing as a leader or manager that you don't realize. And one of those things is performance punishment. Uh, whereas someone is excelling by either automating their tasks, uh, you know, providing massive benefits, uh, doing a fantastic job, and uh, you giving them more work to do, and you start piling it on. And while, as someone who has an automated ba automation background, that's where I kind of started was in automate was uh, with automating things. Um, there's never enough time to automate the things you do uh so as a an executive i would highly encourage those to continue to automate um but not everyone shares the same opinion of automation as i do a lot of msps still struggle with that even though we're on the ai bandwagon now um most msps fail to understand the power and the efficiency gain and the uh 
ticket reduction and resolution time reduction uh, that automation can bring. And as anyone that I work with who uh, does, you know, especially on their own, if they just take the initiative and go start automating tasks that they do, uh, that that person's a winner in my book. Uh, yeah. I'll do everything I can to encourage that behavior and um, push them forward. So is the, what I get out of that is that the answer is when you're managing solely based on billable hours and utilization, that is what drives this kind of negative thing, right? Because guys will slow work tasks. They'll you know, say, oh, there's a faster way, except if I do it the normal way, now I have an hour out of my seven I'm supposed to get for the day. Um, is, is the solution to this to have more or additional metrics that uh, texts are measured on besides simply raw number of hours logged? So there's not enough information for me to, in this post, for me to really understand what the real issue is. Uh, because it doesn't say he's on help desk. He, get, he, he will get escalated tickets. It doesn't mean that's all he does is escalated tickets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as, you know, as an MSP, you know, leader, it's the billable hours would not, like that affects the, the job role you're in. If you're not doing, if you're primarily on help desk, you're going to have a much higher chance of billable hours than someone who only does partial escalations. Uh, and if, if you're completing tasks quickly, uh, so I think I seen at some point they were like, um, the, the instruction and the, the quote unquote reprimand, I guess you could say, uh, was that they've been completing tasks in an unrealistically short amount of time and they can't possibly either be fixed or all the stuff logged correctly. Um, and at that point, I would just challenge them to tell them how, how I've done it wrong, right? If that was me, I would be like, okay, well, show me where I haven't logged or done something correctly. Yeah, agreed. Because if you obviously know better, <laughs> did I miss something? Uh, you know, I, I would put it back onto them um, to demonstrate how I didn't do correctly. Uh, and if their expectation might be, it might take an hour to do a password reset, which is not accurate <laughs> an actual password reset is going to be like five minutes the processes and procedures that wrap around that which you should have at every msp uh would obviously take longer but the actual time it takes to complete said task is going to be very small i wonder if this could also be a case where it's somebody who uh, isn't logging their time in real time like they get to the end of the day and they say oh um, this thing I did took mm. 0.25 hours. Let me put the time in. Um, because if, you know, if your time entries are something like 907 to, you know, 946, right? Like the actual real time it took you to do something, um, your, your PSA will round it to whatever your billing process is, right? The closest Which quarter. Which you should hour not worry about. You should only worry right. about the actual time for the ticket. Exactly. But this could be somebody who doesn't really remember the actual time he did it and just said, yeah, it probably took uh, 0.25 hours because they were going back in at the end of the day, trying to fill out their timesheet. I know I've definitely had uh, techs who have done that. Yeah, that's, that can be a problem. Um, but as I, 
as someone who likes to make decisions based off of information uh, as part of my decision-making process, uh, anything that's messed up in that information chain is a problem and padding time completely against. I'd rather know that you're not inputting, like I'd rather see that you've only have 50% billable hours and start investigating why, because that's not necessarily their fault. It could be my fault. Maybe I didn't configure the system correctly. Maybe, maybe they're, just not getting enough tickets and they're working maybe i'm giving them a client that doesn't bill right mm -hmm. there's there's a ton of info there's a ton of things that can go into that one single metric and i don't like the fact that i'd rather it be accurate so that i can fix the real problem uh than it be padded and adjusted yeah that that goes back to something i think um i can't remember if it was you or ray that we talked about a few uh, episodes ago that Making sure as a manager to not set the expectation that admin time or whatever your PSA calls empty time, right? ConnectWise calls it admin time usually is bad, right? It's not a bad thing if you had nothing to do or if you were working on something internal or if you said, okay, I, you know, my time feed adds up to eight hours. Here's the two hours of things that I wasn't working on anything specific. Um, it needs to be accurate. And, uh, you know, I've had seen managers really come down on text for saying you had too much admin time. And that's not helpful. That's not helpful. One, in that um, you could find something useful to do. And two, it incentivizes your text to not be accurate timekeeping. It incentivizes them to reduce admin time so they don't get yelled at. Yeah. But see, you may... Uh... But that's the thing is you may be actually cause as long as that admin time is accurate, like you, you were drawn, yeah. you're pulled into a meeting uh, and you weren't able to work tickets for two hours. Cool. Put in what you were, you know, doing and who you met with and some details, right? Some just so people can look and review. And if, if you, if I go back as a manager and I see that you have, you know, 16 hours of admin time for this week, I'm going to be like, that's a lot of admin time. Uh, why do you have so much admin time? And then I'm going to look. And if there's just, meeting uh admin time <laughs> like if there's no information then i'm gonna come at you and be like hey this is a problem you've got 16 hours of admin time but i can't justify why you have it and if you tell me now you're just making stuff up and trying to remember and it's not going to be accurate and that's not going to help me figure out what the problem is um to be yeah. able to justify what why you have that admin time so just keep it accurate. And if that'll show people, hey, well, you keep drawing me in meetings. You keep pulling me into this meeting. I don't want to go to them. <laughs> uh, and But I'm, I'm now required, so. Yeah, and, and the other thing with that is, you know, if you're in a client meeting, put your meeting time in the ticket associated with that meeting, right? It, most agreements are all you can eat anyway at this point. But if not, a manager can go change it to not, not billable later. Um, yep. And... Don't be afraid to put time entries in against your own company when you're doing internal stuff. Yeah. Um, Ray asked a good question. Uh, did they ask if their boss, how they qualify uh, productivity? They did not. Uh, they don't have that specified. Um, I think I said that earlier uh, about having them. But that's what I meant by, you know, tell me what I did wrong that I didn't yeah. log or do correctly. It's kind of what I meant by qualified productivity. Um, but never pad your time. It is detrimental to all involved uh because a lot of businesses use that to calculate that as a service industry um we use time 
to just to, to determine if we're profitable on a specific client or not. And if we're not accurate with our time, then our profitability numbers are not accurate. And that's a bigger problem. Yeah. It also doesn't let like if, if <laughs> accurate timekeeping is such a, so important um, because, you know, we have, are, are we, are we overloaded? Are we underloaded? Do we need to figure out like there's, do we have to hire more staff? Uh, do we need to make cuts? Like there's, there's a ton of decisions that have to be made um, based on accurate timekeeping. Uh, and if you're complaining about being overworked and understaffed, uh, look at your time. <laughs> is, is time accurate? Uh, do you have seven hours for this last week? And they're like, well, or, you know, says we only worked 15 hours last week and we have 37 employees. So we don't need any more. We need to actually. I guess we're something. good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's. So uh, get yeah. your time in. It's not just your uh, manager trying to be a huge pain to you. It's super important. Mm hmm. What's next? All right. Yeah, we we beat this to death. We're doing that today. We're beating all of them to death. Ooh, that's a good one. When to departmentalize. In your opinion, when should an MSP departmentalize text from everybody's reactive to reactive and proactive teams? Okay, so they're talking about reactive and proactive. I think, though, the general question is more interesting than that specific example. Um have a group of techs doing nothing but working help desk tickets and techs whose sole responsibility is to manage RMM, patching, backups, etc. Uh, for those of you who operate MSP with the all-in seat solutions, what ratio do you have for seats to techs? Okay, there's uh, some good questions in here. Um, um, well, I guess let's start with the one that's asked, right? When to break out um, what I would call like central services or tool management or one of like 12 different names depending on who you talk to uh when do you break that out uh in my opinion they should be so breaking out a department uh there's that, that means a lot of different things um from the financial aspect that you now have you can have a PL for that department there's a bunch of stuff going on with that if you want to segment workloads and segment responsibilities that's also different uh so yes if in my opinion uh breaking out of a department should happen when a when a single person is encompassing that is their encompassing day so like if and then an example the help desk and proactive uh if we have a single person doing nothing but handling proactive stuff uh backup checks proactive automations uh tickets from alerts and as their sole responsibility i would then break that off into a proactive department i wouldn't necessarily pnl that department at that point but right I, that would be a position almost rather than a department yeah um so i would i would segment them uh and i would classify that as a proactive department and i would start looking at kpis and metrics to determine uh the uh, the workload for the proactive department and when to do just like i would for the help desk and when i should hire and uh what steps to take and i think you raised a good point though like the the salaries for people in the proactive department are coming out of um monthly managed services agreements it's not like um, like a projects team, which is usually one of the first true PL departments, that's usually coming out of paid projects that have to cover their own uh, employee salaries. That's not coming out of the agreements. Um, so I would do the same thing. I would make that like a team or an individual based on how many people you have. I know Ray talks all the time about 
um, having a DevOps person in-house assigned to that. Um, likely, though, coming out of managed services team, not like its own separate business unit department. So I would, uh, that, that's a good question. For P&L purposes, I would classify them both in services. <laughs> The services business unit. Uh, I guess you yeah. could probably say that as uh, projects would be its own business unit. Uh, proactive would be lumped in with managed services business unit, but it'd be its own department in this in this phrasing. Um, but sometimes people, you know, department means a, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So that's how I would structure it personally. Is what have as soon as I have someone who's sole like projects. If I have someone's sole responsibility is projects, I would split them off into a projects department, and I would start doing the same thing. Um, but as a revenue generating system, I would start building a PL for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally different. Um, so is it day one though? Do you have somebody dedicated? Maybe not day one. Day one, there's one guy doing everything. Um, yeah. But er early on, do you have someone who is in charge of RMM and automation? And that is most of, if not all of what they do, or is it better? for the organization to foster an environment where everyone is contributing to automation and everyone is looking to uh, make those de deficiencies. We, we went back and forth on that. Uh, you know, we, we had a few guys who were really, really good at dev work and could have been devs or were devs in some cases. Um, and we found that when we turned it over to everyone that we ended up with a lot of really bad automation that we had to go back and fix. Um, so what's your approach to that? Do you, do, question. do you do both? Do you dedicate someone? Is it better that the people writing bad automation learn how to write better automation? What's the, uh, it depends is my answer. <laughs> um, I, uh, as I said, I am fully on board with automation. Uh, and I do think having everyone understand how automation works at a minimum is critical uh, to being a successful, successful is the wrong word, uh, to being an efficient MSP. Um, having a dedicated team to write automation is acceptable. Uh, having everyone write automation is also acceptable to me. Um, but I understand as you grow, it's easier to pass on automation to uh, an individual who's an expert at it, uh, because they work quick, they work more quickly, they understand it uh, better, um, and they're able to troubleshoot and fix things that happen with their own automation much easier than someone else touching it. Uh, but as a smaller MSP, um, everyone should be looking at how to automate and doing their best to automate. Bad automation can lead to horrible things, uh, but as long as everyone's on the same page of what automation is supposed to do, how to operate it and has training on it, <clears throat> then I'm okay with that. And then segmenting as you get larger. Um, yeah. That's what we found too. Like as we grew and scaled, it became, it just made sense to have a couple of people who took care of this stuff. Um, and then they would solicit ideas from the rest of the team for, you know, does this need to get automated? Does it make sense to do this? And uh, occasionally offer to have them help or develop or, you know, take a stab at the writing the script or whatever it is they were working on. The person, like if, if you're big enough to segment it, 
the person sending that automation request should have a full step-by-step -step detailed guide on how to do it manually so uh, that the automation person doesn't have to figure it out, uh, which mm -hmm. goes back to making sure that everyone understands how automation works. Uh, and sometimes automation can't work. Uh, there are situations where a simple repeatable task can't really be automated because of uh, bad decision-making and whatever you're working with. <laughs> You have to manually copy something to a website uh, that doesn't have an API that you can ingest into. Like, there's stuff like that. That yeah, uh, some installer that literally makes you hit next. Yeah, uh, they, they wrote their own custom installer. It's not using an MSI. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, there are hundreds of situations or several situations like that that could easily happen. But I think uh, everyone at least understanding what automation is, uh, how automation works, and even I would give basic training on how to automate things like PowerShell, what, what people have learned in PowerShell, yeah. and stuff like that, because that's going to not only help get a better grasp of how automation works and how people automate things and how DevOps works, but it'll give them a better uh, in their career path, especially as a technician. Uh, learning a scripting language um, will make you much more valuable and make your make what you do much easier, because specifically PowerShell, they're uh, building it yeah. out to be the CLI of Windows. And like it's a super powerful tool and you can do almost anything from setting and updating and changing uh, with power, with modern PowerShell than it used to be. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully we're now far enough along that there's not the question of is PowerShell installed on the machine, which I remember being an issue for some now time. It's, which yeah. version of PowerShell does it have? <laughs> yeah. Or the default version of PowerShell does this have? <clears throat> okay, so did we answer the original question? I think so. Um, I think the original when to departmentalize, and, and really that's kind of, I took that as when to specialize. Um, once you have enough work to justify a single person yeah. dedicating themselves to it. Um, I would like to touch on the, before we jump to the next one, the, the ratio for seats to text. What do you think about that? I don't have a good answer. We we went all over the place on this, and what ended up working seemed like it was different every year. We never came up with a hard number. It, because it really it depended on the hex and the clients. It depends on the client. It depends on your standards. It depends on the workload. It depends on how they operate. It depends on the, the level of technician they need. Like we have a specialized client that needs basically high level two, level three technicians. Uh, their seat count's going to be low um, because they their development shop who does development stuff and we support them and yeah like that's it's it's just a high like that's a much more expensive ratio <laughs> uh that's a much more that's a, like raise response uh if, we, if our producer could throw that up there uh the the ratio of seats to text <laughs> is not uh an easily calculable thing uh it's more of like oh that's an interesting number um because the the amount of hours, in my opinion, and what type of technician are the better way to figure that out? Because that's your technicians cost you money, and you're selling their services, and that is the, in, in my opinion, the way to to figure out if a, uh, you know, what your ratio should be if you need more techs. If you're, no, I if, think you're right. Right, you you look at how busy everyone is, um, how backed up queues are, uh, metrics like that 
for signs that you may be over or understaffed. But um, I don't think, or at least I'm not aware of any kind of, yes, you should have 300 to one users to tech or anything like that. It's very dependent on a lot of other factors. Yeah. And generally a more experienced and more, uh, a better technician, like a better, start, like higher level technician will be able, well, their ratio will be higher than uh, mm -hmm. a level ones will be too. So there's yeah. stuff like that that Great. you got to consider. All right. What's All the right. Next one? Moving on. Hey, what are the basic requirements you need to have in your client's environment? Might be a trunk slammer, as you guys call it, one man band, accidental MSP. Currently, have some clients and they're happy with our support. However, deep down, I feel that we might be missing basic setup to ensure things are done right. Do not have access management, network monitoring, asset management. We do have. Oh, this is a different direction again than I thought it was going to be from the title. Um, we do have support channel, system monitoring, patch management, etc. Hope someone could point out what I'm missing here. Might be looking for a mentor as well. So I thought this was going to be things like what are your minimum standards that clients need to have before you will accept them as a client where you have to That's what I thought I was going to go to. Um, this is almost a what things have to be in your tool stack question. Uh, the answer is nothing. A car uh, to drive out uh, to, to the, like, you don't need anything. You can, I mean, as an no. MSP, you, you, you make things much more efficient uh, by having things like remote access and stuff like that. But from an overall standpoint, you're basically their internal IT. And as long as you can work on their systems, that's all you need is that ability. Uh, I, it depends it, on what you want to offer. Depends, right. I mean, t take an extreme example. Let's say that you're some hyper-specialized MSP that only internet. works yes, with, like, with like air-gapped clients that have no internet, right? Oh, yeah. Um, then, then you you have no necessarily remote Someone works a paper and pencil and has one of those old mainframe terminals. And you might very pro. well like be a profitable business doing that if you have the clients that need that. Hey, banks run on COBOL still. So, I mean, COBOL <laughs> systems written in the 80s and 70s. Like, it's it's entirely possible that they don't, like, you don't have internet to that machine. Uh, right. So, it's in, I mean, if that's how you operate, then, yeah, you don't need anything. But to make things better for you and to make things better for uh, the, the ease of use of your services, I would probably put an RMM and uh, access system for you to get in, like a Screen Connect or a Team Viewer or Logman or whatever. Um, yeah, some kind of ticketing system, most I, likely, unless you have like one client, and even then, it would still be pretty helpful. Uh, yeah, uh, and there are open source tools you can get for these things. Um, you don't necessarily have to pay for them, um, but I would absolutely work on that. Those are the two minimum things. Uh, something to invoice at an accounting package. I guess you're a business; you need to have one of those mm -hmm. yeah. uh, to, to be able to, to to be able to make money legally. Uh, IRS, don't come at me. Um, 
<laughs> right? Could create an actual business might be a good idea. Although I guess you can operate as a sole proprietorship if you're just you. I mean, it's that it, you need what you feel you need. There's nothing that's an absolute requirement other than stuff that you need for the government to be okay with you and for your clients to be happy with your services. I, I think that's the answer, right? It, it depends on what you're doing, what you feel you need, um, what's helpful, what clients are willing to pay for dealing with the tool expense. Um, and, and I think that's the, the takeaway here that there is no prescriptive magic stack. I, I think we focus way too much industry-wide on what tool set do I have um, as opposed to service offering and things like that. Um, whatever you end up needing to get the job done is what you need. Um, it's as simple as that. There's no list to follow. There's things that might be a good idea, might be helpful, but no decree that you're not an MSP unless you have X, Y, Z. Um, yep. I would, though, like to address the what we thought the thread was about. I think that's a, a worthwhile point for a minute. The, the minimum standards that you have to take on, uh, either to be a client or in some cases security standards, right? Your non-negotiables. Um, and that, again, will Depends. differ for pretty much every MSP. But there are some... Like, I know some... I would say this more uh, depends on size versus uh, type and maybe like your verticals. Um, yeah. But aside from those two, it's kind of up to your own personal preferences. It kind of depends, right? So we've talked about... Um, I can't have... Right? If on the security side, for the most part, if you don't have something like MFA around, or if you won't have whatever proper security software installed, MFA is probably the easiest example. One, because it's not a specific vendor, and two, it's become such a basic security requirement. Um, that's the kind of thing that you might be willing to drop a client over, right? A minimum standard, just decide what the absolute non-negotiables are for you. Um, and same thing on the non-security side, you might decide, okay, I'm not taking anyone with Acer PCs with Windows Home on them, right? Uh, or just some some technical standard that you won't budge on. Um, and then as part of onboarding or as part of prospecting, having the discussion to bring them up to standard, right? That you, you need to have some introspection thinking about what your standards are in that case. Um. Smaller MSPs who are less stable in their income uh, probably won't have a, okay, I'm done, uh, standard. They might have like, uh, you yelled at me, so I'm tired. I'm an owner and I can do what I want. So I'm no longer going to be, we're no longer going to be partners, um, but they're not going to be, uh, well, you don't have Windows 11 Pro Home Edition version 7, so get out. Uh, the bigger MSPs should start implementing standards because it standards does more than just, you know, make a client, you, uh, you know, grip, grippier. Um, it makes you more efficient. If you have to support every brand of firewall, your technicians mm -hmm. are going to have to look at 
when I get an issue that to troubleshoot a firewall, they're not going to remember the specifics on how to work in this firewall brand. They're going to have to go and look it up. They're going to have to spend much more relearning how to do it. Uh, and if they, if it's just the same firewall over and over again, that stuff's going to stick and they're going to be much easier to resolve. Your res resolution times are going to come down and stuff like that. Um, standards can be, it, it just, it, I like it from an efficiency perspective, um, but there's always exceptions, right? If something's working and a client is okay with it and everyone's on the same page that, you know, you may not be able to get vendor support or something, or there might be a security issue, fine. Um, I do think if you're in specific verticals, like, uh, you know, if you deal with health uh, healthcare or you deal with credit cards, you know, you that your clients are compliant to those because that might open you up to liabilities depending on your BAAs and whatnot. That'd be the only thing I'd ultimately put a hard line on. Anything that affects me, right, from a legal standpoint. I've seen it tied to SLAs, which I thought was a, a cool idea. Like, um, we can only guarantee coverage if you're on the firewall that all of our techs know. And if you're not, it's kind of best effort for the guy who happens to know Fortinet to show up at the office. Yeah. Uh, that's one way to do it for sure. Um, that makes it a little less uh, painful for the client. Uh, at the end of the day, they're paying you for your services. They're not paying you to make them do things. Um, so it's ultimately their decision and even as an advisor or a partner who has great relationships with them, you can't make them buy something. Uh, you can cut ties with them because they won't follow your standards. Sure. Uh, you can cut ties with them because they're mean to you. Sure. Um, they can cut ties with you because they don't like your standards. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's, there's, it's, it, at the end of the day, there's two different businesses making an agreement to work together and that they can always sever that partnership. Um, so as long as they're reasonable, I think you should have them depending on the size of your MSP um, from an efficiency gain standpoint and a uh, lowered amount of headaches for everyone involved and easier training and all that good stuff. But that, that, that's the, that's my motivation behind having them. No, I, I get it. It's another, it depends answer. Like I know for, for us and um, a lot of, not a lot, but many MSPs out there now, um, MFA, right? Complete non-negotiable. Um, just decide what that is for you, what your hard line is, what your standards are. And that answer might not be the same for it. Now, me personally, uh, biased, I would hope that the MFA on 365 at this point is a universal non-negotiable, but if it's not going to be, make that decision. And I think that's the, the biggest takeaway, just decide, are you going to have any of that or walk away line level standards are you not and what are they going to be if you have them yep all right so i don't think we have time for another story we're almost out so yep. i think it's time to wrap it up i think so so uh, thanks i for i have to before we completely go i have to mention this otherwise ray will probably yell at me because he told me uh, do it in the chat and in the in the the discord that uh i have to mention msp geekcon uh early bird tickets are available <laughs> to produce just immediately uh, good job simon uh, <clears throat> uh msp geekcon is happening uh we're getting ready to start announcing our 
core session speakers for this year. Uh, super excited about it. We're doing, uh, we're running it back. I'm, I'm, uh, can't wait. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be super awesome. We added more speakers for our breakout sessions. Uh, we fixed a lot of some of the feedback uh, some based on some of the feedback we had. Um, but it's great. I'm super excited. Early bird tickets are still available up until the end of January. Um, so get them now. Uh, if you want to, we're still looking for speakers. Uh, so if you're interested in speaking, that's also available until the end of January. Um, if you're uh, if you're worried about speaking, you've never done it before. You, there's a box for you to check that will help you uh, guide you on your path. Uh, but uh, so please uh, come join us. Uh, nonprofit building a conference about education for uh, those in the MSP who don't generally get. Uh, to go to conferences and those who don't uh, generally get a lot of education, they have to seek it on their own. So uh, that's what we're trying to do. And it, great feedback from last year, um, phenomenal uh, feedback and everyone loved it, which was a very big surprise for us. Uh, so I appreciate all of them who did that and I uh, hope you join us. Uh, I've said to everyone who's ever asked me that MSP Geekon had just a totally different vibe than any other conference I've ever been to. Like it was, just amazing uh, in a really, really good way. Um, definitely encouraged. Uh, IT Nation Secure is right after that or almost right after that. Yeah. There's my plug, um, one week apart. So I think we'll wrap up. Thank you everyone for joining us. As you can see, uh, Kyle and I are definitely out of practice, but I think we got some, <laughs> some good content, some good info here, and uh, we look forward to next week. Thanks everyone. Bye. This has been a broadcast of the MSP Media Network.